I'm Dave Dorst, the associate pastor here, and this is my second time preaching after coming back from sabbatical, but first time here. I don't know how many of you saw the sermon when you were snowed in that we, I recorded in my basement. Very awkward, literally preaching to myself in my iPhone, watching anyways. You saw it. Good. Good. Well, it's good to be back up here. One of the smaller, more thoughtful movies of last year that didn't have any superheroes, no explosions, was called Beautiful Boy. We have a film critic in our midst. I wonder, I bet she saw it. And uh, it's an excellent movie. Uh, it's based on two books, one written by a father, David Sheff, and one by his son, Nick Sheff, uh, both talking about the t- same true story of the son, Nick's drug addiction, and his father's and others, um, their attempts to be there for him and to help him get through it. Uh, it's at times a gut-wrenching story as you just hope and cheer for Nick to get his life together. You see him sort of come back to his family and and settle in, and you're just praying that he stays there and cleans up and gets his life together, and then he spirals back down. The the most heart-wrenching scene is uh, when Nick has just seen his girlfriend OD and is being driven off in an ambulance. And he's sort of standing there in the street, and you can tell he doesn't know what else to do. And even though he's just, like, broken into his dad's house and really let him down, he he calls him. And he apologizes, sort of, and but he clearly, uh, you know, he wants his dad's help one more time, and so he kind of begs him, I just, can I come home? But, But sort of on his own terms. Uh, no, no rehab, Dad. I just, I just need you to love me and let me come home. And his dad has been through this cycle one too many times and uh, has decided he's not going to enable him. And so he has to say, that's not going to happen. I wish I could help, but I can't do that. I love you, and I hope you get your life together. And they hang up. And then Steve Carell, who plays the dad, breaks down in tears. It's a tough scene. And I'm sure that's the reality for parents in many, so many situations, trying to find the line between loving support that helps a child recover from bad decisions and supports them through everything, and tough love that allows a child to experience their consequences, knowing that that might be the only thing that helps them realize that they really need help and change. Uh, Some of you in this congregation might have been that parent or that child at different times in your life. And as we return to our sermon series on the book of Jeremiah, God is in a position like that. His children have been grieving him with their sins, with running after other God, with committing atrocities. God has to be 
like a parent who shows tough love to his child. And God says that they just keep rejecting him. They keep going backward. So he has to act. He's weary through it all, but they've got to suffer the consequences of their sin. Now, we started this Jeremiah sermon series in September, and we had a solid uh, three months. Uh, The last two months, we've had an Advent series in John, and then we've had a couple guest preachers. So we have heard your despair and longing to get back to Jeremiah. So we're not going to do just one section today. We're not going to do one chapter. We're not going to do two chapters. We're going to do three chapters I said that in Sunday school, (laughs) and somebody said, oh, I have children's church. (laughs) I'm not going to read all three chapters. We're going to skim through, pull out a couple sections. Um, But first, let's pray. Almighty, eternal, merciful God, your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Open and illuminate our minds that we may purely and perfectly understand your word and that we may conform our lives to it through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. All right, the first section that I want to emphasize, if you've either got your sermon outline or got your Bible open, uh, chapter 14, we're going to skip the early stuff. There's a drought happening. But we're going to jump down to verse 19, chapter 14, verse 19, and go through 15, verse 6. So about 10, 10 verses here. This is Jeremiah speaking first, and then the Lord answers him. Have you utterly rejected Judah? Does your soul loathe Zion? Why have you struck us down so that there's no healing for us? We looked for peace, but no good it came, for a time of healing, but behold, terror. We acknowledge our wickedness, O Lord, and the iniquity of our fathers, for we have sinned against you. Do not spurn us for your name's sake. Do not dishonor your glorious throne. Remember and do not break your covenant with us. Are there any among the false gods of the nations that can bring rain, or can the heavens give showers? Are, not, are you not he, O Lord our God? We set our hope on you, for you do these things. Then the Lord said to me, Though Moses and Samuel stood before me, yet my heart would not turn towards this people. Send them out of my sight and let them go. And when they ask you, where shall we go? You say to them, thus says the Lord. Those who are for pestilence to pestilence, those who are for the sword to the sword, those who are for famine to famine, and those who are for captivity to captivity. I will appoint over them four kinds of destroyers, declares the Lord, the sword to kill, the dogs to tear, and the birds of the air, and the beasts of the earth to devour and destroy. And I will make them a horror to all the kingdoms of the earth because of what Manasseh, the son of Hezekiah, king of Judah, did in Jerusalem. Who will have pity on you, O Jerusalem? Who will grieve for you? Who will turn aside to ask about your welfare? You have rejected me, declares the Lord. You keep going backward. So I have stretched out my hand against you and destroyed you. 
I am weary of relenting. Wow, that's not usually our picture of God, is it? We, we have what sounds like a very sincere confession and repentance from Jeremiah. He's standing in the great tradition of Abraham, of Moses, of Samuel, who would intercede for his people and say, Lord, don't judge them right now. Don't blot them out. He says, we acknowledge our wickedness, that our fathers and we have sinned against you, Lord. You, you sit on the glorious throne, Lord, and, and we know that only you can bail us out. Now, remember I said there was a drought. So he's praying very specifically, bring us rain. We know that all the other gods are false for the sake of your name and your covenant, Lord, will you save us? And the short answer is no, no. Lord, you're not going to respond to all that repentance and calling on your name. Usually God loves to hear that stuff, right? Humility and a realization of, of sin and God's greatness and that God is the one who can save and act. But God says no. I don't care if Samuel and Moses join you in interceding for this people. This is the time. I'm not relenting. God is going to punish them. Earlier in verse 11, part we didn't read, God had said, even if they fasted, I would not hear them. Even if they offer sacrifices, I won't accept them. The people have broken the covenant. And there's not really any ground for Jeremiah or others to intercede on their behalf. God has hit his threshold with these people. He singles out, right, the king Manasseh who encouraged the people and they, they burned their sons to the false god Molech and so many other horrible things. These people are immersed in impurity, impurity, lies, unfaithfulness. God is weary of relenting, of putting up with this. Yeah, they make noise about coming back to God. But they don't really mean it. They slide right back into their old ways. In fact, they slide back farther. They go backwards, is what he says. It's, it's like when the addict son or daughter promises to go straight and get their life back together, but then they steal money and take off and plunge farther and further into their addiction. Verse 6 in the ESV says, you keep going backwards. We call that backsliding, right? Promising to change, but then going and finding worse things to engage in. And God has had enough of it. The only way this people are going to get the message and straighten out is to be conquered by a neighboring enemy. He paints that picture pretty vividly in verse 2. Some will be destined for pestilence, some for the sword, some for famine, some will head to captivity. So you might be killed 
or you'll be taken into exile. But God is done for now. That's a hard word. Let's go to the second section that I've picked out. Uh, Jeremiah has sort of done his duty as a spokesperson for the people. Now he's going to speak on his own behalf. He's got complaints about his personal hardship that he's going to bring to God. Let's start in verse 15 and go to verse 21. O Lord, you know... Remember me and visit me and take vengeance for me on my persecutors. In your forbearance, take me not away. Know that for your sake I bear reproach. Your words were found and I ate them. And your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart. For I am called by your name, O Lord God of hosts. I did not sit in the company of revelers, nor did I rejoice. I sat alone, because your hand was upon me. For you had filled me with indignation. Why is my pain unceasing, my wound incurable, refusing to be healed? Will you be to me like a deceitful brook, like waters that fail? Therefore, thus says the Lord, if you return, I will restore you. And you shall stand before me. If you utter what is precious and not what is worthless, you shall be as my mouth. They shall turn to you, but you shall not turn to them. And I will make you to this people a fortified wall of bronze. They will fight against you, but they shall not prevail over you. For I am with you to save you and deliver you, declares the Lord. I will deliver you out of the hand of the wicked and redeem you from the grasp of the ruthless. Earlier in the book, there had been a private assassination attempt on Jeremiah's life. Later in chapter 26, there will be public cries for his death. Chapter 38, they throw him into an empty cistern and leave him for dead. Jeremiah has got some reasons to be upset. He's got some reasons to complain a little. The people clearly don't want to listen to what he has said. This is one of those kill the messenger if you don't like the message uh, situations. But we got to remember that's what the Lord told him would happen when they first called him. So in verses 15 and 8 through 18, He's complaining to God, hey, it's for your sake that I'm enduring all this persecution, all this opposition. He says, I I, I delighted in your word. I'm faithful in prophesying to the people. But I'm lonely. I'm an outcast. That's the least of it. I'm sometimes an object of scorn. Persecution. Please, Lord, remember me. Heal me. Take away this pain. And unlike the nation as a whole that God is ready to bring judgment to, he's got a different response to Jeremiah. Keep on being faithful. 
keep on saying the words that I give you. And even though you're going to have to persevere through a lot of hardships and opposition, your enemies won't prevail. I'll deliver you. They won't be able to hurt you. You'll be a bronze wall to them. I'll deliver you. The, the charge here, particularly in verse 20, is, is a restatement of Jeremiah's original call. I think I've put that in your outline. If you remember back, if you were here when we first started preaching through Jeremiah, chapter 1, verses 18 and 19, part of his original call, uh, it's almost word for word it points what, what God says to him again. Back then it said, I, I behold, I make, this, make you this day a fortified city, an iron pillar and bronze walls against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, its officials, its priests, and the people of the land. They will fight against you, but they shall not prevail against you. For I am with you, declares the Lord, to deliver you. Some of the same language there of deliverance prevailing against his enemies. And God reminds Jeremiah of this original promise of protection because Jeremiah must have forgotten in his anguish. So what about you? Just like Jeremiah says in verse 16 that he is called by God's name. Remember, Jeremiah can mean appointed by God. So he bears God's name you also are called by God's name. You are called a Christ follower, a Christian, a little Christ. And just like Jeremiah, you found God's word and you delighted in it and studied it and followed it. He says he ate it. And because of that, you often have to stand alone. You sometimes are not able to revel with the partiers is how he says it. Your attempt to live like Christ and be set apart can make you lonely, perhaps even persecuted. Maybe sometimes it doesn't feel worth it, does it? I've heard stories from students that it's hard to stand apart. I felt it myself. I'm sure you've felt it. I was reminded how difficult it is, yes, outsiders, but even members of your own family. Uh, people in our congregation have been uh, basically disowned by their parents for embracing their Christian faith. I can imagine the pain that that causes. And God doesn't necessarily make the exact same promises to you that he makes to Jeremiah. We have some very specific prom, uh, promises of deliverance here. God may not deliver us physically. I don't think we get that promise or else we've got to tell a lot of persecuted Christians through the ages, starting with the apostles and down through the ages. John Huss, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, I mean these men that were martyrs for Christ, they weren't promised physical deliverance, and we aren't either. Today, there are people all over the world dying for their faith. But God does promise ultimate deliverance. Even if you are 
physically harmed or killed, God will redeem your soul, deliver you from the ultimate enemy. For those who are faithful and redeemed by God's blood, our place in heaven is secure. Our salvation is unshakable. And God always calls us back to our original call. You were called to follow Christ. So pick up your cross. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and he will walk with you. Through the lonely times, through the isolation, through the hardship, he does speak a word of comfort and grace. Now, the, the final section that I picked out of these chapters is a true mix of good and bad news. When someone says, hey, I got good news and bad news for you, which one do you want first? I always want the bad news first. I don't know about you. You want the, bad, you want the good news to kind of take away the, the hurt of the bad news? And that's what Jeremiah gives here. Let's look at chapter 16, verses 10 through 15. When you tell this people all these words, and they say to you, why has the Lord pronounced all this great evil against us? What is our iniquity? What is the sin that we have committed against the Lord our God? Then you shall say to them, because your fathers have forsaken me, declares the Lord, and have gone after other gods, and have served and worshipped them, and have forsaken me, and have not kept my law. And because you have done Worse than your fathers, for behold, every one of you follows his stubborn evil will, refusing to listen to me. Therefore, I will hurl you out of this land into a land that neither you nor your fathers have known. And there you shall serve other gods day and night, for I will show you no favor. Therefore, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when it shall no longer be said, as the Lord lives who brought up the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt. But as the Lord lives who brought up the people of Israel out of the north country and out of all the countries where he had driven them, for I will bring them back to their own land that I gave to their fathers. So in the first four verses there, we go back to this theme that the prophets, that Jeremiah keeps hammering that God, the people have forsaken God. They've worshiped other gods. They've disobeyed God's laws. And it gets worse in each generation. So God says he will hurl them out of the land, expel them. This promised land that God had given to their forefathers that had been promised for so long and had been their possession, their inheritance. They didn't deserve it anymore. And and what do the people say, right? The people are standing around. uh, What what did we do? Why, Why is God so mad? They don't have a clue. Right? You see that in there? They know. They know they've sinned. They know they've failed. They suppressed it to continue to sin, and they're shocked when they're confronted about it. 
But then the good news, and we get glimpses of this throughout Jeremiah, throughout the prophets, the the good, great news that God is not going to leave his people in darkness, disconnected from the land. The light breaks through and the hope of the future is quickly described. God will bring them back. He will save a remnant and bring them back to the land. And it's going to be so amazing what God does. What uh, verses 14 and 15 is talking about is he's saying people have been referring to God as the God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the Exodus, right? A thousand some years before. And we refer to, you know, the Exodus as this great event. Well, guess what? This is going to be greater. People are going to start referring to God as the God who brought us back from exile, back from Babylon. going to be the new reference point. So let me try to tie all of these themes together. Let me, let me try to uh, sum this up. And what, I'm, what I saw as I was reading through these, pulling out these passages, and um, they seem a little disconnected, but I think we can look at it this way. God has three responses to three different types of people, or how he interacts with them. So the first type of person from chapter 14, our first section, are the ones who are sinning and don't want to be judged for their sins and don't want to change. And if they've felt any remorse, it's not true remorse and repentance. To them, God says, I am a holy God and I have to punish sin. There are consequences for what you do. And if you don't get beyond this uh, kind of a vague discomfort with your sin, sort of a fake confession, and come to me in true repentance, then you can expect my disfavor and punishment. The second type of person from chapter 15 is the Jeremiah's. And the the true believers who speak God's word and try to live out a holy Christian life, but then get discouraged because they're lonely, they're opposed, they're mocked, they're persecuted. And to them, God says, remember my original call on your life. To be in a relationship with me as you follow And obey me. I will remind you that I love you. I will never forget you. And I will redeem you and give you the ultimate protection you need. I will raise you up to heaven, protected from death and hell. And the third type from chapter 16 are those whom God disciplines towards restoration. Right? They have acted wickedly, selfishly, and so God lets them experience the negative consequences in their lives, but he has a plan to bring them back. He will restore them and bring them back to himself. Some of you have maybe even experienced this 
in your life or you're praying for loved ones who are in the middle of that. That God will call them back and they'll experience his joy once again. Do you see yourself in any of these people? Do you know that your sins separate you from a holy God and that if no one pays the penalty for your sin, you will die and spend eternity separated from him? That is the clear teaching of Scripture, but the good news, the gospel is also the focus of Scripture is that God sent Jesus to pay the penalty for your sins, to die in your place and achieve forgiveness and salvation for you. When you accept Jesus' death on your behalf, you are adopted into God's family. He calls you by his name, gives you a new nature, one that is alive to him, yearning to please him, and to do the works that he calls you to. Maybe you're hearing this passage today and thinking, I'm like that first group. I've sinned way too much. God would never forgive me. God doesn't want anything to do with me. I've heard that when I've talked to some people. Please, I've done too, way too much in my life for God to let me in. And I need to tell you that that's not true, right? Israel wasn't truly repentant. But Psalm 51, 17 says, A broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. In other words, if you are sincere and truly sorry for what you've done, God will not turn you away. He will draw you to himself. He will give you Christ. He will give you salvation. The angels will rejoice in heaven when you come to him. That would be an awesome day. The Exodus was when God brought his people out of the land of Egypt, Moses, the, the Red Sea, all those things. That was a great rescue, a great deliverance. The return from exile that, that Jeremiah is prophesying when he's going to bring the people after 70 years of captivity with Babylon, when he brings them back to the land, that was an even greater rescue. But the cross of Christ where Jesus took on the sins of his people and died in their place, accomplishing the great salvation plan of God. That is the greatest rescue. And all those who believe that said, amen. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you for the book of Jeremiah. Thank you that it, it seems difficult, it's long, it can seem repetitive. But as we wade in, as we read it, there is so much there that we can learn, that we can soak up. Thank you for your incredible patience, Lord, with your people in the Old Testament, with people today. But we know that your patience 
can run out according to your will. God, you are a holy God. And we sin against you and we run away and we make ourselves your enemy. And sometimes you leave people like that in their sins to experience the consequences of their sin, just like parents sometimes need to have tough love. But Lord, we also know that you deliver and that you bring people back and you treat them with the grace that they don't deserve and that's how you've treated us. That's how you treated every Christian in here. That they didn't deserve you. They didn't deserve grace. They deserve hell and punishment but you pulled them out of that from darkness into marvelous light. And so we rejoice that we are saved, not by anything we did, but by Jesus' sacrifice on the cross for us. May we respond in thankfulness, following you, honoring you in our lives. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.